Broadcasting live from the stage, this is The Monstrous Room, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Taya, and I'm joined by my swans, Mila, Louisa, and Zaba. And this month, we are talking about doppelgangers. But before we get into it, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow all of our links on our Instagram at The Monstrous Women Podcast. We are kicking off the month with the 2010 psychological horror Black Swan, directed by Darren Aronofsky. In this film, a professional ballerina named Mina lands the role of her life playing the lead in Swan Lake. However, in order to master the White Swan's character, Mina must also embody her evil counterpart, the Black Swan. As Nina struggles to embrace the darkest parts of herself, this immense pressure and the competition threaten to send Nina over the edge. What's going on? Lily, you made her my ultimate. Well, there's always an alternate. Lily's the best choice. No, but she wants my role. <laughs> Every dancer in the world wants your role. No, this is different. She's after me. She's trying to replace me. Nobody's after you. No, please believe me. Louisa, Tell us about your gay awakening. Wow. Right to the point. Yeah, right. I think that the sex scene in Black Swan was incredible. It was like on the timeline of my sexual awakening. I'm not like we've talked about this in previous episodes. So like also Jasmine from Aladdin was strongly on there. Probably definitely prior to this. This was about what came out in like 2010. So I remember seeing this and just being I think it was probably the first time I actually saw like two girls given head. So I was just like, what is this? And also, I think it's the first time I saw two girls giving head. And also that one of them was Mila Kunis blew my fucking mind. I was like, incredible, incredible. It's much more graphic than I remembered it. Like, I definitely, I don't, I don't know if I saw it in 2010, but I saw it like maybe when I was like a little bit older than that. And I remember my mom watched it and thought it was scary. And I'm like, my mom is also pretty gay. And she thought this was something. And then that's why I thought it was like something like scandalous to see. And I was right. It was scandalous. It is scandalous. She like, you know, wipes her mouth after. And you say, this is the first time you saw like two girls go down on each other. But I think I have not seen in a like mainstream movie have not seen anything like it since honestly like uh blue is the warmest color blue is the warmest color oh yeah yeah, i guess that would that became mainstream also for being scandalous but i think black swan because it was so oscar nominated that like i just it seemed i don't know i was surprised that it was that graphic in a movie that so many people saw like blue is the warmest color is like explicitly about lesbians whereas i think black swan it people didn't know until they saw it it still blows my mind that this is a darren aronofsky film (laughs) why i don't know it just to me like when i watch it every time i always feel like i would expect it to be directed by a woman wait Mm -hmm. we gotta get into that because i do not agree I definitely do think it has, like, Mel Gazy stuff in it, but I don't know, like, I guess the marketing campaign and everything for it. I saw this movie, like, in 2010, and I remember I actually thought Natalie Portman was, like, a ballerina. Like, the marketing campaign, like, was very convincing. She must have gotten, like, a lot of dance training for the role. She did, but there was a lot of scandal around how much she was actually credited for the dancing. How much dancing did uh, Dakota Johnson do in Suspiria herself? Uh... She didn't need a body double. I was about to say, it, she wasn't really doing anything that complicated, even though they were like, girl, you're going to be passed out from this dance. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> she had a lot of squats. I don't know. That looked like a little bit of training. 
The Monstrous Feminine is on Apple Podcasts, so please go leave us a five-star review. If you do, you just might get a shout-out, and our next episode is The Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week, is Nabila OG from Turkey, and they said, Love it. I'm a big horror fan and love listening to this podcast for the great insights and banter. Would recommend to any horror podcast fan. Uh, thank you, Nabila, for your lovely comment, lovely, wonderful comments. You're also a fantastic artist, and thank you for following us. Everybody should go follow Nabila, Nabila Photo on Instagram. I'm gonna tag her and <laughs> plug her there for ex- for excellent and spooky art and animation. And video direction, I saw. Yeah, yeah. And video direction. And photography. She does like little comics, which I think are so funny. Yeah, comic book artist, animator, director, model, all of the above. Saint. (laughs) And our biggest fan. (laughs) (laughs) Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For one pound a month, you gain access to our Discord. For three pounds a month, you get to hear uncut discussions from our main episodes. And for five pounds a month, you get all that plus a bonus episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please support us. Any contribution helps. I really like this movie. I do too. I had forgotten how good it was. I think I, when it got so much Oscar hype, I convinced myself that it wasn't that good because I thought it was like nominated for too many Oscars. <laughs> but in retrospect, I'm like, oh no, I understand. I think the costume design for this movie was uh, Rodart, which is super cool. See, this is why I thought it was directed by a woman. That's actually a good entry point. Like, why did you... What made you feel like this was directed by a woman? Like, what aspects of it? I think because ballet is always, like, viewed as very feminine, but then also just, like, the extent of how many women were involved in production, I just assumed, truly, I think. Um, Also, like, the marketing around it, like, it was a lot of Natalie by herself versus, like, Natalie with Darren. So, like, I I never really pieced together that he was a director until, like, I, I saw it when I was older and I was like, oh. Especially, like, when you compare it to his other films, but, like, his most recent film, I believe, is Mother! Exclamation Point. I can see how these two are related, like, in terms of the style. But at the time, I think due to, like, the, the vast amount of, like, very powerful female actresses involved, female costume designers. I just kind of assumed it was directed by a woman. That being said, watching this as an adult, I can see a lot more of like the male gazy stuff that I missed when I was younger and I wasn't necessarily like looking for or aware of how the male gaze looks on film. Mm -hmm. When you watch it back as an adult, you can see it being directed by a man the same way that you know blue is the warmest color is directed by a man. While those scenes may be attractive or hot, they're like hot in the same way that porn is hot mm-hmm. because like it's made for men to find it attractive. Yeah. Can we be specific? Like I'm thinking like masturbation scenes, like the way she masturbates is by like on her tummy and she like humps her. She like rides her own fingers. And I was like, what? That was very Freudian. That's very much like, like back to this like loss of innocence thing. It's very much the immature orgasm. Like the clitoral orgasm is like the immature one and the penetrative one is supposed to be like when you're an evolved woman, you can have an orgasm by penetration. Like that scene looked like to me like she'd never masturbated before and was like just trying to like figure out what felt good. And I'm like, that is the immature orgasm. Which actually aligns with her character as someone who's like infantilized by her mother, maybe? 
Yeah, that's because yeah, you only stuffed animals in a room and it reminded me of people's like first stories where they're like, oh, I just used to like hump the pillow or like I didn't really know. <laughs> like, Which is absolutely fine. But I just think like to me, it doesn't come across like she's inexperienced. If anything, that seemed like it just quickly transgressed into like why writing your fingers like was just like such a it just fe- seemed so directed I was like I don't really know anyone who would go about it in that particular angle that way it just seemed like she was writing an imaginary penis which is why it seemed very male gazy to me so I was like it just seemed it just seemed very directed and also the bathtub masturbation scene again I was like I don't really know anyone who would wank when they're submerged Maybe, like, using the faucet, but, like, how are you going to wank when you're underwater? Like, how would that work? You have no natural lubricants. Thank you for saying it. That's all I was thinking <laughs> that whole scene, and I was like, it's going to be dry. It's going to feel dry in there. <laughs> I'm a big, like, hater on shower sex in general because it washes away natural lubricants, so I'm like, I don't understand why movies, you're like, evolved. I, no, you're, you're big brain for that. Represent. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> I think it's just because people like like the effect of like water and how it looks. And you can have wonderful foreplay in the shower. Like you can like touching is foreplay. I'm lightheaded in the shower. I don't know. I I can't do anything stimulating. Me too. <laughs> I think it's too hot. No, because I like really Guys, hot showers. Turn down the heat. Turn down the heat. Why are you doing that to yourself? And like out of breath when I get out of the shower. I need a second. <laughs> Once I realized, like, she was 28, all of this felt, like, way, way worse. Like, I was willing to give her, like, ballerinas are quite young. I was willing to give her, like, 20, 21. She's old for a ballerina. I feel like I would have hit on that harder. I thought she was 20. I yeah. Was, like, so th- that also adds to this, to, to like, the anxiety that her she has around her mother. Like, her mother retired from ballet at 28. But I think that's perfectly normal age to retire from dancing. Like... Your body gets worn down. The thing about like sports or athleticism is like you retire so early. You only have like a certain point to be perfect per se and then like no one gives a shit about you. And even when you do reach that point, like no one cares after you retire. Yeah, this aging thing is like once I realized she was 28, I'm like, oh, it makes sense that she dies at the end of this. That's the end of a dancer's career. She has nothing to live for anymore. And this woman who's who's retiring feels like her life is over. I'm like, look he is like especially for a ballerina and especially for women because they don't become choreographers often the netflix documentary series cheer there was like a lot of discourse around this because like cheerleading is so fleeting you can only do that for a certain couple of years in college you aren't gonna make money but you destroy your body doing it it is body horror regular ballet is body horror like the way that her feet looked we talked about with suspiria but like even i think about like i did ballet way too young it like fucked up my bone development like my hips never grew in right because like everything was like turned out and fucked up and it's like but you have to learn it that young because you're once you're 22 you're done and you have to train your body to do it properly like well properly in the way of ballet standards so you have to be unless young to, like, you're get natalie portman and you can learn it in a month and you're a star, you're a star. <laughs> also like the mental like stress of ballet is insane I just noticed like a lot of Suspiria connections to the original, obviously not to the remake because it came out after Black Swan, but just like, yeah, the intersection of dance and body horror. On page 77 of the screenplay, the lines are Nina dances at the end of the ballet, the white swan suicide, Leroy, the black swan has stolen your love. There's only one way to end the pain. Nina climbs the stairs of the set and arrives at the cliff, stopping at the precipice. Leroy, you're not at all fearful, filled with acceptance. Nina looks down. It's a short drop to a stack of pads, but a hard floor surrounds it. Leroy continued. 
You look at the prince, then down at Rothbard, and yes, up at the audience, and jump. She hesitates, fearful. And I felt like this page like foreshadows the ending because she has figuratively lost her love, like Zabel was saying. Because once you reach the top, and as she had always wanted true perfection, there's nothing else. Like, she doesn't love ballet, she loves the pursuit of being the best. And so once she is perfect, she can die. With athleticism in general, I think it's hard for athletes in a way that people don't really like to talk about per the Olympics and mental health stuff that has came out recently in sports because there always is going to be someone who can replace you. And like the second you aren't fulfilling the role that the audience wants, they don't care anymore. Uh, whether it's you need to take a break for mental health reasons or you're injured, they're just waiting for someone else to come in and do the exact same thing that you did. So like Winona Ryder's character hating Nina because she felt like Nina was replacing her was very relatable and very true to how the industry works, not even just in ballet, but in like sports in general. But I even think about the way they pit, like they want to pit like a Naomi Osaka versus Serena Williams. Like they want there to be like the next great person. And like, she, like people get older, they have children, their bodies change and we don't like allow for that. And like, like if you're an actor, you just transition to roles, older roles. You just don't play the daughter, you play the mother. But in things like this, that like where, where your body takes a toll and you like can't even do it anymore. I think then you become the, the mother in this scenario where she is putting pressure on her daughter and she knows how fierce the competition is. Would you call this mother a stage mom? In the beginning, she seemed like quite into like taking her out of it and wanting her to not have all this pressure. So I was like, oh, great. At least they're not doing the stereotypical like stage mom who puts so much pressure on her daughter. But that changed quickly. I feel like she's not necessarily the stage mom, but as because like the stage mom wants their, to live through their child in a way. But in a way, her mom seems jealous of her because Nina has something that her mom never had and so like I think almost the pressure that she exerts on her and like the way that their relationship breaks down is partially because like her mom feels like she's breaking away but at the same time her mom's trying to keep firm control over her. She still saw Nina as her competition in a way even though she never reached that pinnacle like she's envious that her daughter got it and she's envious that she'll never get the chance to do it. And she feels like because they had the same career, they're still competing against each other. And if she can keep her from reaching out too far or leaving the nest, she can control like the scope of how far her career goes. I think I view it a little bit differently. I think I view it as like very archaic mother vibes, a Creed reference here, Barbara Creed. Basically archaic mother being that she wants to be in the sort of Freudian lore of it, according to Creed, she wants to be the center. She wants to be the sole kind of family member and like this matriarchy. So she quickly becomes the castrating mother, basically. And it's like the suffocating person who doesn't want her daughter to exist beyond her. I find that particularly relevant in this movie, just because I think it would be more like she's trying to live through her. I think she views her child as like an extension of her own career because her career was cut short because she got pregnant. And that was her own kind of body horror of it. So I think her compensation for that is like, okay, well, you will do well. And I will put this pressure on you to do well and excel at this this um, profession that I couldn't do myself. As you're saying, like there will be like some competitiveness mixed in with that or some feeling of mediocrity, which is why when Nina loses her marbles, <laughs> she um, it taunts her with it and says like, you never made it past the core or something like that. And you're no you would never be the black one I am. You're just jealous. 
could they be like another sub doppelganger? I think so because I I think with the portraits, I think her mom is like she her mom like sits in her room and draws excessive portraits. And I looked at the portraits like I paused the screen and they're a mixture of her own self portraits and I believe Nina. So I think she's like drawing them together because she's like obsessed with conflating them together. And there's a reason why she wants to, like she keeps her room really young. Nina's room is like surrounded by stuffed animals she her mom tucks her in at night and like plays a music box even though she's 28 it's very much like if nina was a man uh, this is like very relying too much on gender but like essentially it's the same effect that nina is a castrated uh child in the sort of creed sense in that she's suffocated she's stunted from growing because she's desexualized also that's like literal castration that she doesn't know how to masturbate she doesn't know how to experience pleasure that's very true actually so that was kind of my interpretation was that it was archaic mother and she can't separate them. She's jealous. But also I think there is that motherly instinct as well. Like I think when she sees Nina going like, you know, descending into sort of a mental breakdown, I think she does have a motherly instinct to try to keep her home. And then that's when Nina taunts her and says like, you're just jealous. I, I think that's when she like uses how she has been suffocating before against her and like Nina turns it around. But I think in that moment, she's just trying to protect her from, um, well, killing herself, basically. I mean, low-key, like, her descent to madness was her going through puberty late. Yeah. Like, the body horror of going through puberty and everything. Can we talk about the body horror element of no. as well? Like, <laughs> no. You mentioned Suspiria. I think, yeah, Suspiria 2 in, in particular is very, like, relevant. Like, ballet and body horror. Like, we've talked about that in our finale last season. But I think, in general, this is an excellent body horror, which is, like, the horror of the bodies, the physicality and everything of it, is what makes me think this is a horror film. And it's so often called a psychological thriller just because it had Oscar buzz and, like, Oscar noms and Oscar wins. The body stuff is what makes it a horror. Like, the picking the scab, uh, like, sorry, not picking the scab, picking, like, her finger and, the like... Feather is what got me the feathers is what i have remembered for the last decade when she pulls that first feather out of her back or even just like the chicken skin that she gets on her back is really like pimply chicken skin like is so gross to me but i think the picking the finger skin really haunted like that was an image that really stuck with me like it scared me i think the mother's crushed hand her webbed feet at the end when she pulls the glass or whatever it is that impaled her in the stomach she pulls it out that is to, I'm like, don't, first of all, don't pull it out. I know one thing about being impaled with things and it's you leave it in until you get medical <laughs> care. Or even like the blood pooling out of the, the bathroom or the dressing room when she thought she stabbed Lily. It is quite gory, but not in an obvious like horror way, but it's certainly not in a psychological thriller way. Like a psychological thriller implies that like, like the audience is being tricked. They are tricked in this, but that's like also a tool of horror. So I'm not going to discount it. What's interesting, I think, in this is, like, it's actually the Black Swan story told. Because at the end, like, the Black Swan version of Nita has one. That is who mastered ballet. <laughs> that is who took her love. So I like that they actually were able to mirror that while they were doing something about Swan Lake, the ballet. What cracks me up about the director is like he was like we're about to do Swan Lake in a way that it's never been done before but then like the final product is like okay Swan Lake. <laughs> I was like this is so how Swan Lake has always fucking been done before. All right Thomas. But yeah no I, I agree it's like I like how they double things like that. I like when they double the storyline. 
It's been noted that this film alludes to or like is based on this like old Hollywood film from 1948 called The Red Shoes. And that also is like a film about a ballerina who is doing this performance where it centers on these red shoes where if you put them on, you can't ever take them off and you'll dance to death, essentially. Not the end of that one. She also commits suicide because the shoes kind of make her do it. But also like the central part of it is that she leaves her lover so that she can continue to perform. And it's like loving something to death, like dancing to death, quite literally. So I think in that way, like this film also does that by making a parallel between the performance that they're running. The score for this movie was sensational. The score was sensational. Yo, I made a note that I was like, the full orchestra playing in moments that like weren't performance really added that razzle-dazzle. Like, like <laughs> and just truly like the string section just felt so epic all the time. Which is also why it's horror-ish to me. Like, because the music is such an integral part. Like, even, like you said, even when they're not dancing, the music is such a core component of like the drama of this. I thought it was really interesting that we don't get to see her rehearse any of the black swan parts until we see the performance. Like we only get to see her doing the white swan parts and then like a little bit fucking up the transition into the black swan parts. That makes it so that when we see the final performance, I got like chills. I was like, we don't even get to see hints at her getting to that point. We only get to see her be like mousy and small and innocent. Also, I guess we're going to transition into this at some point. But the way that sexuality is like so linked to the black swan and her teacher guy, whatever, choreographer, I think he fingered her and asked if she was a virgin. And then you have like Mila Kunis's character, Lily, is like very open about her sexuality. Super She's slutty. very comfy. Super slutty. She's very comfy. That's the word we should use. <laughs> She's uh she's a lot like more comfortable with her body and like using her sexual charms to get what she wants, the way that she flirts with the male dancers versus like how Nina's like, don't touch me until she's with uh old man choreographer. But this is like a huge problem in dance. Like yes, you have to give consent, but you have to give consent or you look like a bad dancer or a bad participant or a bad artist or a prude. And it's really like in this instance everybody was white but it gets so messy when people have different sexualities different races like different relationships with their body but even like in like relationships like masculinity and femininity you are going to get touched and you're going to get touched in ways that are sensual regardless of what is happening like that is the nature of most forms of dance especially ballet so to like i don't know to even think about being a lesbian ballet dancer in a company like yes there are 100% predatory directors but you are going to get like felt up it's like part of the process and it's something that nobody like we're so deep in it that like no one even thinks of it as inappropriate to the point that now we're at this level where it's like oh yeah everyone assumes she slept with the director to get that role like no one had a doubt in their mind it was it was they were comfortable enough joking about it like at, when then they were at that bar she was like oh yeah so what did you do like to get that part like everybody knows that you, like with him you have to sleep with him yeah Beth slept with him we all know that if you want to be principal ballerina like you did something and then you'll earn it later. And like that, like that felt very accurate and like super fucked up, but not like an extreme at all. I did assume that Beth was sleeping with him entirely. It's very much implied, isn't it? I mean, Beth literally says like, I'll come over later when she's like drunk. And it's very much, it also like, it aligns um, 
I mean, like you're saying, like the doppelganger here, yeah, I think very much does symbolize like her discovering her sexuality. And yes, I think it's under the guise of loss of innocence, but I think it's like this is where male gaze comes in again, where it is a bit too problematic. Beth's whole performance as well is tied to her sexuality. And as soon as she's too old, she's also not desirable to him anymore. Like he doesn't want to sleep with her anymore. So it's also like this whole doppelganger thing is tied to like and their whole like performance and ability is tied to their age and their desirability and he's basically just gaslighting thomas is gaslighting and abusing all of his performers by saying okay if you want this role you'll have to sleep with me and he only likes nina because she bites him and he sees it as a challenge he's not a good choreographer i don't understand how any of this happened And yeah, and I just, yeah, it's very much, but I think this is an interesting take on doppelganger because I think here it's like very much sexual. Like it is doppelbang. She even doppelbangs. Oh my God. Yeah. I forgot about that. Watching it again. One critique that stuck with me with the film is that I think this film is not enough about dance. (laughs) Dance. (laughs) I'm going to make this joke every time you say (laughs) dance. Because we obviously have this really strong like virgin whore dichotomy through the doppelbanging and the the white swan the black swan and ballet is no doubt like a perfect venue i guess to think about how a stage like, if a you stage will. a performance if you will oh, to think wow. about how like <laughs> a like patriarchal sort of industry perpetuates women regulating their bodies like this hallmark of womanhood and femininity and negotiating your your virginal self with that like more sexual side and like men want you to be both at the same time but they also want you to be a mother it's like great for all of that but i think that this film gets a little bit lost and maybe this ties into the male gaze point with the double banging is that it gets a little bit lost in that metaphor it misses the point that the when we said we liked the original suspiria like it didn't feel male gazy because they weren't in this weird competition with each other this is all about the competition that women have against each other which yes it does happen but not like this like i don't know very rarely am i like sexually attracted to the women i find i have beef with you know what i'm saying like Enemies to lovers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Enemies to lovers, but like not if we're up for the same job, for example. Like the, like we never say like men up for the same job want to fuck each other. They probably do. <laughs> they probably do. They embodied the virgin whore thing so deeply. You have to have be like very strict about it because like the regulation of the body is so intense in ballet. So like there's people who are like 14 and they have them on like calorie restrictions so that you don't gain too much weight and everything. Especially because like her mom was cooking for her. So I felt like they would have addressed that at some point of her mom being Well, like, her mom was wanted her actually... Her mom, now I'm realizing, her mom seems super supportive, but maybe she was sabotaging her. Like when she wanted her to stay home and stay sick, I was like, that's so nice. She's clearly mentally ill. She should stay home. Or when her mom was like, please eat some cake. Like it's your celebration. You should have a slice of cake. And then she like went and threw it up later. But like, I was like, that's so nice. Her mom wants her to eat sugar and carbs. That's so supportive. But now I'm like, oh shit. Was she like trying to like fuck up her game? I think it's all of those interpretations. I think her mom only wanted her to get so far. Their their mother-daughter relationship reflected like, I love you and I want you to go far, but I don't want you to go so far that I feel like you're above me. But uh, that that's a very pervasive message in the media that like, women like their friends and they like their friends to be successful, but not way too successful for them. Do you feel like that's realistic? I know I've never had a friendship like that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have. I've definitely had it 
I think it's possible. I think girls can compete when they're insecure with other girls. I don't think I was necessarily wanting to instigate the competition, but I definitely had a kind of situation where I felt in competition with one of my friends. And it was also particularly weirdly for like men's affections. So I would say that perhaps left to our own devices in a matriarchy, would we do it as much? But I think it was like potentially fueled by like men, men puppeteering it. Like, as when I said earlier, like, it feels like Nina's going through puberty. I definitely think I was more like this when I was going through puberty. Watching different people, other girls in your grade, like, develop faster or... I'm still waiting. Please. (laughs) (laughs) But that was competitive. I remember when, um, when we were in middle school and, like, people would get their braces off and everyone would, like, freak out and be like, oh my god, her braces came off. She looks great now. And there was like a sense of competition. It was about how we would appear to like, guys, would you be like more attractive and like that competition of like, that I don't want this person to be hotter than me. Well, and especially in this, the director being the puppet master of the competition, like he absolutely was like, hey, Nina, come look at all these other bitches who are better dancers than you. They're more free. They're more sensual. They're not more talented, not more like technically perfect. He absolutely would like thrust her in front of these other girls and say, they're better than you. So you figure that out. (laughs) Like, Yeah, I don't think the female competition is necessarily unrealistic in this movie. I think it's exaggerated, certainly. It's just like weirdly sexualized. I mean, if you have not had a friendship with like someone where you were not sure if they hated you or were in love with you, then you did not grow up. I mean, it was one-sided because the other girl was straight, but like I had a crush on her. So a lot of mine was like, that's because you were gay. (laughs) (laughs) It's not any deeper than that. (laughs) I don't understand why I didn't have this. I'm upset. I don't know why you didn't have it because you went to an all girls boarding school. So like, honestly, if anyone would have had this experience, it would have been. No, it wouldn't because there's no men around. You know the lesbian master doc? Sometimes people are like, are you just seeking male validation? Is that like the crux of your attraction? Targeted people who don't know whether they are yeah, bisexual. Yeah, I know what you're talking right, about. Right, right. I don't like it. I'm going to put that out there now. The master doc is basically just like a series of questions and like points of discussion to help you navigate that. But it feels very much like what Louisa or Ty said, I don't remember about like how the jealousy in female friendships is actually the root of it is just like male validation and like, pressures we we get from living in a patriarchy like it feels very much like that how it seeps into everything so that we you don't even know you don't know how you feel about things anymore and now i don't want to talk about margaret atwood after her like turfy thing recently the old turf outburst on twitter the inescapable male gaze does resonate too much with our female friendships or even like friendships outside of traditional genders like it's so hard to know if you're just vibing or if you're like repeating patriarchal bullshit it's interesting, but also I think some of them do go out to flat out deny bisexuality. And I'm like, guys, calm down. Or pansexuality or anything. Especially like we said about that whole like, oh, you're a lesbian and you're attracted to men. Disgusting. And it's like, oh, get over it. You can be a lesbian attracted to men. In this essay, I will. <laughs> but it's kind of like what you're saying, Taya, where it's like, yeah, you you might have felt like this competition thing amongst females when you were only in this phase of puberty and I was like exactly and it's combined that with what you're saying Zeba which is like as soon as I didn't care if like men were attracted to me I no longer felt this like competitive drive with any like other women and I don't feel it competing like for women's affections not that I feel like I have to do that like imagine if the choreographer had been a woman in this movie like how would that have changed it like like same predatory behavior same whatever whatever but I don't think it would have worked in the same way. It would be like motherly and weird. Yeah, be archaic mother. 
I feel like if you completely swapped the genders in this movie and made it like two male dancers having this. Oh, I want to see that. I want to see them in tights and I want to see them sexualized. I want to see them <laughs> Yeah. <in> <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? But I feel like whenever they they do like films where there's two male characters who are competing against each other, it doesn't necessarily, they don't necessarily make it sexual in the same way. Perhaps we're in agreement-ish that it is kind of, it's hyperbolic, but it is kind of a realistic depiction of competition because this is like how men influence women to behave. And you combine that with the sexual abuse that he's inflicting on her as well as dangling her whole career above her. The thing that gets messed up about it is that it is told by like a man in in the sense in that, um, for example, I think how Nina interpret. obviously it's meant to be like she's she's going insane, but how she interprets Lily's actions to me, like they really make Lily seem like a villain. But if you just take any of Lily's scenes or like what she says to her in isolation, it's literally not catty at all. She actually seems genuinely like she cares about Nina and wanted to be her friend and she's just like new cool girl who's moved. Even towards the end, do you think? I think so. I don't think she meant it. I think she's just like... I think she wanted that part. She seemed apologetic to me. She was like, listen, he picked me. Like, I don't know. And I don't think she slept with him. I think that was Nina's own hallucination. Um, I think she maybe saw Nina sleep, or sorry, Lily sleeping with like her co-star person and then hallucinated or whatever. Basically, I think like the whole female competition is entirely made up in her own mind. And I think Lily seems quite nice. She is a little bit of a bully because she like, she comes and she's like, did you have a lezzy dream about me? Ha 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 Like, I'm like, girl. Really? I would say that exact thing. <laughs> but the thing is like, Nina is obviously like very insecure and so that like like the way that she was so like abrasive sometimes it's like okay if somebody's cool and can take a joke then that's fine but this woman is hanging on by a thread like maybe don't make fun of her in my household sex was not a taboo like it was like very open and like grow up in your household i know i know but i could easily see how she would go into this assuming that everyone else has like that same point of view and wouldn't mean it maliciously she was just open about sex and being like did you have a dream about me and nina being like obviously from this like repressive background would take it like very offensively but basically i don't think lily is like a bitch a female competitive bitch like in the way that i think you're supposed to see her as yeah it is it does get a bit muddled because like natalie portman is an unreliable perspective to be viewing it from yeah yeah she is and she i think she's hallucinating a lot of the parts where lily is actually a bitch you know what we're talking about the problematic elements of doppelganger um and how it equates female sexuality to like the evil embracing your darker side i forgot to say that it also equates it to like losing your mind because when she becomes the black swan and becomes attuned to her sexuality it's like also a done deal like she's lost it like she's gone and i think that's the problematic like undertone message to that was like as soon as nina embraces her sexuality she's too far gone because it equates too much with her performance Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast, and on Twitter at The Mon Femme Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, which is out.